Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. You are listening to the first episode of our second year. This is episode 53, and last Saturday we celebrated our our first birthday, our first anniversary, and uh, we've got some new stuff coming up this hour, that, or this this year, I guess we should say. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm Dan Todd, and this is a pre-recorded show because we're out playing around right now, right? <laughs> we, uh, When this show airs live on Saturday, we will be in Virginia. I will be speaking at the NRA Women's Leadership Forum Summit, and uh, oh no, wait, no, we're no, gonna that's be in the next week. Oh, <laughs> that's right, that is true. We're going to be in California celebrating our daughter's birthday. I'm getting my weekends confused, so it's going to be two Saturdays that we have to pre-record because we're going to be out of town for two weekends in a row. But um, as Dan said, today is Monday, August 29th. And so we like to tell you when this happens, uh, when we pre-record, because if some big news event comes along uh, and then Saturday gets here and we haven't mentioned it in any way, uh, we don't want to appear to be insensitive depending on what kind of news story it is or, you know, checked out. Um, not paying attention to what's going on in the the news world. So, right. So today's theme is what's law got to do with it? Cheryl, is it that uh, Tina Turner song back in the eighties? <laughs> you know, I think it was her first original title, but then she decided to go with what's love got to do with it. She kind of got just, beat up I'm a little bit. Completely. Oh, that's bad. I am. <laughs> I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying, so law would have something to do with that, right? Yeah, that's true. Do you want me to explain my my theme, or you want to interview guests first? I'll go ahead and explain it. Explain the theme. Well, what's law got to do with it, right? Well, what does the law got have to do? He's going to be singing that through the show. I'm a little afraid now. But, uh, well, I propose that, you know, what does the law have to do with it? Everything and nothing. We have laws piled on top of laws and laws created to enforce other laws. And there are those who still clamor to clog the system with still more laws designed to confuse and confound and to punish the very people who in their heart of hearts want to be law-abiding citizens, but who find it harder and harder to identify the ever-shrinking squares of their lives where they aren't breaking some piece of legislation in the process of simply living their ordinary lives. There are laws designed to prevent crime, but do they? There are laws designed to punish crimes once they are committed, but... The people put behind bars are sometimes released for politicians' political gain. 
There are laws designed to save lives, but which actually inadvertently cost lives. And there are those who would exploit the law for their own selfish purposes. Don't we have somebody, some politicians that are kind of doing that? They kind of make their laws and then break them? Mm, Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So uh, you can just a few, but there are some out there. I think one might be running for president, but uh, you know it's worth a Google. You know, kind of make up your own mind about that. She was a senator, uh, and she made laws. Okay, we won't say she, but (laughs) made laws, and then turn around and is doing what's going on right now. You're trying really, really hard not to to say her name, aren't you? No, I don't want to say her name. (laughs) I'm going to see if I can go the whole day without saying her name or Bloomberg. I mean. Well, anyway, today we will be talking with people who have studied law, who practiced law, and who have been the victim of laws misused. So what's the law got to do with it just seemed like a fitting theme for who we have coming on today. Yes, in our first hour, we have Larry Keene. He's a senior vice president and general counsel of the National Shooting Sports Foundation. It's the Firearm Industries Trade Association, and he is responsible for the NSF's legal and government relations. We also have Stephen Clark. Stephen Clark is, an, is with the Arizona Elk Society. He's the executive director of one of um, Arizona's largest and most active wildlife conser- conservation organization, the Elk, Arizona Elk Society. Taking, talking with us today about hunting for heroes. In our second hour, we have uh, Paul Lathrop. He's the owner and co-executive producer of the Polite Society podcast and the Self-Defense Radio Network. Paul has recently been through a harrowing experience of having been wrongfully accused of mishandling a handgun. His ordeal is finally over, and he is here to share the details of the ugly and expensive underbelly of the legal system. Uh, It's a nightmare. What he had to go through is just unreal. And the, the, the worst part of it, he never pulled a gun out. Mm-mm. He never even shown the gun. There was nothing. So that's going to be an interesting story. We're going to have him for two segments so he can tell that story. He was in jail for four days. I don't want to get ahead of the story, but for four days. And he did not show a gun. He did not pull a gun. You really need to stick around and hear, hear about that because there's a, it's a cautionary tale for a lot of us, I think. Right. And then we also have Antonia Okafor. She's a liberty-minded Republican, uh, law school-bound Republican, fighting to advance concealed carry on college campuses in Texas, Arizona, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. We also have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report, and you're waiting for me to say Dan's Tip of the Week, we're aren't having, you? No, no, we're not. I'm, I'm not ready for that. And that's why we've switched it up, because... We no longer, well, at least for a while anyway, we're going to we're gonna kind of retire Dan's tip of the week. And now we're going to have Dan's commentary. Yeah, if you ever think I could be calm. <laughs> so obviously I thought of the name because I'm the big word nerd. And I thought, well, it sounds like commentary, but, but it'll be his, not his rant, right? Because we were thinking about, you know, we've had a couple of shows in a row where we've said we are not a ranting show, but then here are things that need to be talked about and we get a little passionate about them. So instead of Dan's rant or the Durant, we were going to call it, it's it's Dan's calm and Terry. There is way too much ammunition out there for not to have rants. (laughs) It's true. It takes a lot of... um, 
pre-processing to be sure that we we be that we're able to deliver it in in such a way that it it fits our our model, which is we engage, we educate, and we inform. We don't um, stand on the table and spit and yell and things like that. That that's other shows, but that that's not our style. So. Anyway, stick around for that. I would love to get some feedback uh, once you hear his commentary and then let us know what uh, what you're thinking about all that. All right. So, my goodness, we've got so much coming up and so much to talk about. Um, the news story that I, I thought we should talk about, apparently, uh, Tom, Tom Arnold. Remember we talked about him? couple of weeks ago. Right. So he came out and he said, well, his nephew was unstable. His nephew was discharged from the military because he was mentally unstable. Then somehow he gets a concealed carry permit from the state of Iowa. It has five guns on his dresser. Nightstand, yes. And then commits suicide. And so Tom Arnold wants to say that Okay, whose fault is it? He never points to his nephew, right? He never says, it's unfortunate that my nephew took these steps. He never says that, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that he didn't seek the help and get the help that he needed. Now, you could get the VA wrapped into that, so that that is a, a different story, but um, something you could talk about. He wants to point to who, Dan? Who does he point to? The firearms. Yeah, he points to the firearms and says the firearms are bad. The people that didn't uh, prevent him from getting a firearm is bad. The state of Iowa is bad because they allowed him to have a concealed carry. And that was the piece that didn't make sense to me. Now, wait a minute. If he really was discharged and he's got these mental issues and he tried to commit suicide in the military, how is it that the state of Iowa doesn't know that? How is it that his family hasn't interceded in some fashion? Well, it comes... We come to find out that the mom of the nephew the mom, and the dad of the nephew have come out and said, um, you know all that stuff that Tom's been saying? It's not true. It's all Hollywood, Hollywood, right? Hollywood, right? Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they basically came out and said that they think that Tom, brand, um, you know, embellished his story so that he would better maybe fit in. He is an actor. He is an actor. And they do embellish, don't they? Well, they're paid. I mean, if you just think about it sometimes, they make a living by speaking other people's words. They put other people's words in their mouth and they get paid to speak them. And yet we hold these people up on these huge pedestals. And if they utter anything, we just run off and buy whatever it is that they said to buy. We, we, we change our political persuasion. We, we vote a certain way because they said something. And somehow all along the, the way we forget, oh, wait a minute, what does that person do for a living? Are they a firearms expert? Is he a, an expert in um, psychology and, you know, m- medical health of any sort? No, he's an actor. Right. And uh, right now it's all the rage to hate guns. And so the parents of this this young man who took his own life tragically, um, 
they feel like Tom Arnold, he wanted to fit in better with his friends. And so he, he made the gun, the bad guy in his story and, uh, and really sullied the name of his nephew in the process. And it's unfortunate, but anyway, that's just an update. That's just one less movie that uh, actor that we're going to be seeing on the big screen. Suppose so. Well, stick around because we have a wonderful lineup today. Our theme is what's law got to do with it? Coming up next, we have Larry King from the NSSF. Stick around. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Cheryl, you know, I want to talk about something real quick. AZ Firearms got a new manager. We did. We sure did. Judd is with us now, and he's going to be making some... uh, New updates to the store. We're going to be really getting heavy in suppressors Mm -hmm. and the Class 3 stuff. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hate to see that Dave is leaving. Mm -hmm. Dave is retiring. He's He's leaving in good terms. He's still with us right now. Mm -hmm. I think until September 10th or 11th, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dave Leonard has been our, we call him team leaders. We, We try to shy away from the word manager. It just, a team leader just sounds more like what we envision. We envision we're a team and we need somebody that is leading that team rather than managing people. 
It's a, it's a small, um, it might be semantics, but anyway, so yeah, Dave's been with us for about five years. He is retiring again. This is like the third time I think he's retired in his life and, and Judd Bickle is coming on and he's just a great guy and I'm excited about the transition. Um, all right. We have our guest waiting on the line and I don't want to make him wait any longer. Uh, today's theme is what's law got to do with it. And our first guest is Larry Keene of the NSSF. Keene is Senior Vice President and General Counsel of the NSSF, which is the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the Firearm Industries Trade Association. He is responsible for NSSF's legal and government relations. Prior to joining NSSF, he was a partner in a law firm where he represented a number of firearm manufacturers and product liability cases. And before entering private practice, Keene was an assistant district attorney in the Westchester County, New York District Attorney's Office, where he investigated and prosecuted violent criminals. He was also assigned to the Economic Crime Bureau, where he investigated and prosecuted complex white-collar and organized criminal cases. So you you kind of know your stuff there, Larry. Uh, well, you know, they call it practicing law for a reason. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you on. Uh, thank you for having us on. Well, um, you know, when I read about all of, of your history, I'm I'm instantly wanting to dive into, tell us about your, your biggest case, you know, but we're going to stay focused. I'm going to stay focused here. Um, and I think the big focus of what's happening right now is a great deal across the entire nation of anxiety. It's like coming out of the pores of the entire nation about the coming election. And the NSSF has a great information site up. It's called hashtag gun vote. And I thought, let's start there because when people have more information, I think it tends to bring their anxiety level down a bit. Well, I mean, we, the national shooting sports foundation as the firearms industries trade association, like all Americans are particularly interested in this election. You know, politicians say all the time that this is the most important election ever, except this time for our industry, it actually is. It actually is. Uh, the contrast between the two candidates for the president of the United States could not be more stark. And so the gun vote campaign is an effort to um, get gun owners, sportsmen, hunters, target shooters registered to vote, and then to get them educated, for them to learn the facts about where the candidates stand on Second Amendment issues and, and issues that matter to hunters, sportsmen, and gun owners. And then on election day, armed with those facts, to go to the polls and gun vote. Uh, so it's a voter education, voter registration campaign that we've been doing for uh, every two years, for a number of years, it used to be called Vote Your Sport. And it's, we're also focused on key Senate races that will determine uh, which party controls the United States Senate, which will have a great impact on uh, what candidate or what nominees are confirmed for the Supreme Court. And and for us, the, the Supreme Court is really an incredibly important issue because the Heller decision and McDonald were both decided by one vote, five to four. Uh, Justice Scalia uh, authored the Heller decision. Uh, and so whoever replaces him could tip the balance of the court. Uh, and we know because she said it that Hillary Clinton thinks that the 
Supreme Court was wrong on the Second Amendment, meaning they, she thinks the Heller decision, which she described as, quote, terrible, close quote, was wrongly decided, and that uh, meaning that she does not believe that the Second Amendment provides an individual right to keep and bear arms, which is the seminal holding in the Heller decision. And so she will appoint justices uh, to the Supreme Court, and she may get, if uh, she's elected, the next president is likely to be able to appoint three justices. But just the next one is is that one vote on the Supreme Court uh, could end up repealing or reinterpreting the Second Amendment, uh, you know, reversing the Heller decision and saying there is no individual constitutional right. uh, And which then uh, the things that flow from that is just about every form of gun control imaginable becomes permissible. Mm. And, you know, I don't think that we can overemphasize the importance of the Supreme Court pick, because that's not a, a two-year appointment. That's not, you know, well, we'll vote, we'll vote them out. That is for the life of the person who is appointed or until they want to uh, retire, correct? Correct. That's correct. And there are several justices on the court who are uh, well north of 80 now. Mm-hmm. And so it's very likely that they will step down from the court or um, as sometimes happen, they will, will die while they're on the bench. <clears throat> and then the president gets to nominate uh, folks to replace them on the court, and the Senate uh, confirms. And so if you have an anti-gun controlled Senate uh, and you have a anti-gun president, they will pack the court with individuals who will, uh, that are hostile to uh, the Second Amendment and to the individual right to keep and bear arms and would allow the government to uh, infringe upon uh, that fundamental liberty. So here's something that is so confusing, I think, to people, because you're you're in the law field, right? You're a lawyer. You practice yep. law. You still practice law to a certain degree. At what point have you been allowed in your legal career to sway things from your own emotional or your own political opinion and and persuasion? Well, I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinions, but that doesn't mean that they're correct. Uh, and so, you know, Hillary has these very strong opinions that she just happens to be uh, flat wrong about them and, and the Supreme Court and the individual right. But she also uh, thinks that gun manufacturers have immunity from liability, which is simply a false statement. And in this case, it's not just false, it's knowingly false. It's a lie. She knows that's not the case. She knows that uh, it only prevents frivolous lawsuits that uh, would blame manufacturers and retailers for the criminal misuse of fire, non-defective lawfully sold firearms. And But she yet runs around telling people that um, that, that law gives a blanket immunity to manufacturers from any any and all lawsuits, and that is simply not true. Absolutely, it's not true. And um, I think the direction I was I was trying to, to head in was, and I didn't do a very good job of it, is that you would think that if you are a judge, right, all you're doing is interpreting law, why would we care who sits you know, why would we care whether it's Hillary that appoints the next justice or why would we care if it's uh, a Republican uh, president that appoints a justice? If all they're doing is just blindly interpreting law and that their own personal political bent doesn't matter and 
clearly it does, and that's what is so confusing to people. Uh, well, it definitely does because judges, like all other people, you know, view the world from their own personal prison and how they see things, and so they may think they're correct in say, interpreting what they believe to be interpreting the law to say, well, it doesn't provide for an individual right because it speaks about a militia and ignoring the fact that, it, you know, it references the, the right of the people and that everywhere else in the Bill of Rights in the Constitution where the framers used the word people, they meant individuals, not the state, not the government. Uh, but, uh, you know, they can have honestly held beliefs that are just flat wrong, uh, and she will make sure she appoints people um, that have that point of view. Uh, they may think they're correct. They may think they are properly interpreting the law, but um, but they're not. Uh, and uh, and they can uh, vote to say that the decision was incorrect and reverse it. And if they have the votes to do that, and a case comes before the court, uh, you know that's the, that's the fear. That's the the risk. Um, that's why we say you know in gun voters don't risk your rights. Um, you know, one vote stands between you and your Second Amendment rights, and that's your vote. Larry, there's a lot of uh, Democrats out there that have firearms. I'm learning every day we're seeing more and more that are pro-Hillary, and I don't understand that. Don't They're going to have to make a decision. Do they want to keep their guns, or do they want to vote Democrat? Well, that's exactly right. They need to, they need to make a decision uh, knowing the facts and the truth. And the facts are, and the truth is, that Hillary Clinton has said that the Supreme Court was wrong about the Second Amendment and that the Heller decision was a terrible decision and and that they need to know that the, that if she's elected, she will nominate someone to the Supreme Court uh, who uh, will, in all likelihood, vote uh, to overturn the Heller decision. She has said that guns will be a litmus test that she uses for picking justices. You know, you guys are all over the country, and you you know you you promote you try to get gun shops to join your group, and mm-hmm. I, I strongly believe in that. And it's up to the gun shops; they need to join the NSSF, and they also need to talk to their customers. And because I until I until I started talking to the customers, I thought everybody that walked in my door was a Republican. And I'm finding, no, that's not. Or maybe independent, or independent, definitely not Democrat. Right. And then when you start seeing there's a lot of Democrats coming in, getting that first gun, or some of them have several guns, and making them aware. Because a lot of people just kind of stay away from the news. And we need to let them know. And the gun shops need to talk to their customers. I guess we have to get political. Well, I mean, the gun control issue is not really a Republican versus Democrat issue. As you say, there are many, many millions of folks who are firearms owners who happen to be registered Democrats because they believe in the principles of the Democratic Party on, on issues unrelated to firearms, right? The the divide in this country on the gun control issue is between urban and rural um, and the suburbs and the exurbs, as they call it, somewhere in, the, in between. Uh, and so that's the real divide. It's not a Democrat versus Republican issue per se. It just happens to be that, I mean, the Democrats um, have a lot of support in more urban areas. And if you just look at an electoral map, uh, you can see, you know, the blue on the coast and, you know, uh, red uh, through most of the rest of the country, right? I mean, sort of what uh, has been referred to as flyover, you know, flyover nation. Um 
And for many years, the Democrat leaders at the national level uh, did not push the gun control issue because they understood politically it was not a good thing for them. And, and you need to ask nobody other than Bill Clinton himself, who said that the gun issue cost Al Gore the White House. It cost John Kerry the White House. And so for many years at the national level, the Democrat Party did not push the issue. That has very clearly changed. Uh, and it is now, if you just compare, we have a blog on our website about this. If you compare the platforms of the Democrat Party and the Republican Party on the issue, you can see a very stark contrast in how the, the Democrats as a party, the national level in their platform, uh, think and view uh, Second Amendment and firearms issues versus uh, the Republicans. And you see that reflected in the two candidates. Absolutely. Well, we're going to break for commercial, but we're going to hold you over. Can you stick around with us? Sure. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking with Larry Keene of the NSSF National Shooting Sports Foundation. While we're on commercial, take a minute and look up NSSF.org, and we will be right back with more with Larry Keene. Hey, everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Pot of Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Pot of Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at potofgoldestate.com. Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. Don't miss out. Everything is going, going, gone at potofgoldestate.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, educate, and inform. We're sponsored by AZ Firearm, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. We're speaking with um, Larry King. He's the Senior Vice President of the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And Larry, one of the concerns that a lot of our listeners are talking about right now is the uh, gunsmithing guidance from the State Department, that executive order from uh, Obama on ITAR. Could you help us with that? Sure. Well, first, technically, it wasn't an, an executive order, um, legally speaking. What happened was uh, in July, 
the State Department, which licenses the export of what are called defense articles pursuant to the Arms Export Control Act. Uh, guns and ammunition are, quote-unquote, defense articles. Uh, and so the State Department has jurisdiction for the export of those products. Now you say, well, what has that got to do with a gunsmith? The Arms Export Control Act and the implementing regulations, which are called ITAR, the International Traffic and Arms Regulations, require that anybody who is a, quote, manufacturer, close quote, of a, quote, defense article, close quote, has to register with the State Department. And the current fee for registering as a manufacturer of a defense article, meaning if you are a manufacturer of firearms, is $2,250 a year. So you say, again, what does this have to do with gunsmiths? Well, that's what we'd like to know, because the statute says manufacturers. It doesn't say gunsmiths. Uh, and so what was happening was that small, uh, the folks who were um, gunsmiths that ATF said, well, you've crossed the line from gunsmithing to manufacturing for purposes of the uh, Gun Control Act, and you need to get a ATF manufacturer's license would then be told by ATF, oh, by the way, now that you are a manufacturer of firearms, you need to register with the State Department and pay this annual fee of $2,250. And so that is obviously very unfair. And we have been in long discussions with uh, the State Department to say, look, if somebody is is actually a manufacturer and they are not exporting, why should they be paying this kind of a fee even if they have to register? And if you're a gunsmith, you're not a manufacturer any more than an auto mechanic is not a car manufacturer. Why should they need to be registered? And so, and so the State Department put out this guidance, which they say is simply a statement of the current existing interpretation of the requirements of the Arms Export Control Act and the ITAR regulations. We said, well, this is the first time you have ever put out this guidance, and it has created quite a um, a grassroots fire across the country with gunsmiths and even, frankly, gun owners, because it, it, the law would apply to an individual who engages in one act of manufacturing of a defense article, regardless of whether they export or not. So we have written to the State Department to say you're you're incorrect in how you're interpreting the requirement. The fee is outrageous and, and is excessive for somebody who is not um, exporting at all. Uh, And that ought to be lowered. And frankly, the real answer or the real solution to this problem and many others that our industry faces um, uh, is to have our products transferred for export licensing purposes from the State Department to the Commerce Department, which the Commerce Department already does the regulating or does the licensing of exports of shotguns and shot shells. And this is actually an Obama administration initiative. It's called the Export Control Reform Initiative. And there are 21 categories uh, of defense articles, and all but three have already moved or are in the process of moving from the State Department to the Commerce Department, and only true uh, weapons and items that are worthy for national security purposes of heightened uh, export licensing scrutiny would stay under the jurisdiction of the State Department. Everything has moved, basically, except commercial and sporting firearms and ammunitions. And I mean 22 caliber rimfire bolt-action rifles that you would use at a Boy Scout summer camp are licensed for export by the State Department, which is patently absurd. 
So we were supposed to, our products were supposed to be transitioned over to commerce long ago, but unfortunately in uh, December of 2012, right before the rules were to be published and become effective, the Newtown tragedy occurred. The administration pulled the rules back, the proposed rules back, and put them on the shelf and has refused to move our categories. Um, so we are trying to get Congress to take the bulls by the horn and solve this this issue with the gunsmithing requirement because under if we're, if we're covered by the Commerce Department, there is no registration requirement. There is no ridiculous fee of $2,250 and a number of other uh, problems and issues and challenges that our industry faces because we're on uh, under the State Department, we go away, and I won't bore you with those because they're very complicated. But so what we're asking everyone to do is to call their two senators and call their congressmen and demand that Congress uh, take the issue away from the Obama administration, which has refused to move our categories simply because of gun control, uh, and and to through legislation, move our categories uh, from uh, the State Department to the Commerce Department. It would still be licensed for export, um, but it would be in a much more business-friendly environment and, and set of regulations under the Commerce Department, and which is where they really belong uh, in the first place. It seems to me that if if you have an export license, I could under, import export license, I could understand the ITAR thing, but I don't understand it for even a common manufacturer his guns aren't going out of the country. I completely agree, and that's what we've been saying all along. Congress doesn't differentiate. Um, it says if you are a manufacturer of a defense article, you have to register. It doesn't say register if you're going to export or when you export, which, which you clearly have to do. You can't export without without right. being you can't get a license without first registering. But for small manufacturers who aren't exporting, have no interest in exporting, or it gets even more ridiculous than that. If you are a component part manufacturer and you sell component parts to an actual firearms manu- manufacturer to be included in those guns, you too have to register. And not just if you make barrels, let's say, uh, or receivers, but if you make springs and screws that are put into a gun, you're supposed to register with the State Department as well and pay this you know, a really obscene fee of 2000 $250. So we, we completely agree. We've been asking the administration to say, look, e- even if registration is required, there is absolutely no reason to be charging that much money on an annual basis. We've heard from many, many, many gunsmiths over the years who were, you know, had to get a manufacturing license from ATF and then were told you had to register the State Department and told what the fee was and said, I don't make that much money gunsmithing in a year. And so part of our concern is whether that, that this fee and applying it to these small gunsmiths or small manufacturers and small businesses is really to try to drive them out. We'll have the effect, if not the intent, of driving them out of business. Yet the politicians say that charging $15 for an ID card is unconstitutional because it makes it where some people can't vote. Right. I, I mean, and the idea for registration, the the, the purpose of it is so that the government knows who is manufacturing these quote-unquote defense articles. Well, in the case of guns and ammunition, the government already knows because they gave them a license under ATF to manufacture those products. So they already know who is manufacturing. There is really no purpose to be served by having them register again. And there certainly is no purpose in charging somebody who isn't using the export licensing system of the State Department $2,250 every year 
just to register when you don't have anything, when you're not exporting, uh, you know, and you have nothing to do with it. I remember, Larry, when I first got my license, I mean, this is many years ago, I had to scrape pennies to get my license. And it was it was really hard. But so I can imagine how people are that are doing uh, closet gunsmithing, things like that. You don't have to start somewhere. You don't just have a whole bunch of money and say, I'm going to open up a gun shop. Right. You, and then, you, where are you going to get that money Right. From? And so it's, it's, it is a deterrent it, to keep people from, from getting into business. Well, and again, this is important for your audience to understand. This requirement, under the guidance put out by the State Department in July, would require an individual gun owner who puts sights on their gun to register with the State Department. Because yeah. it says any a manufacturer is any natural person, business, uh, corporation, et cetera. Natural person means an individual. And you have to have one one act of, quote, unquote, manufacturing, mm. okay, to trigger the registration requirement, which means the payment of the fee. And they're still so, not given an accurate description of what manufacturing is. is that- well, there's a, so the Arms Export Control Act does not define term manufacturing. So under the law, what you do is you pick up a dictionary and you look at the ordinary dictionary definition of the term. And gunsmithing is not manufacturing. I mean, that's like saying an auto mechanic is General Motors. Right. Of course, that's not the case. They're not manufacturing a car when they replace a a a throttle cable. Right. So I put gas in my car. Am I suddenly a a vehicle manufacturer? I mean, it's kind of... Maybe a little bit of a stretch of of, of making right. the analogy, but it's it's a well, long. If, you're, if lines. you are in your garage and you put a new carburetor on, or you put you know new new uh, uh, suspension on, or, or shocks, or or different kinds of tires, does that make you a car manufacturer? And this it makes is you an know, auto mechanic, it, maybe, but it doesn't make you a manufacturer. And isn't this coming from the same administration that says you didn't build your business? <laughs> All right, that's a different topic. But, you know, one thing that that, uh, sticks out to me is that back in January of this year, uh, there was, again, executive, we were calling them not executive orders, but executive suggestions, um, that uh, if you you are a seller of guns, right, Mm -hmm. well, what does that mean? Are we talking about one gun? Right. Are you right. Joe Smith living in, you know, South Dakota and you got one extra gun that you sell to your buddy? Now are you a gun dealer? You know? Well, you know, they, they said that and, and then ATF put out guidance. And basically Congress has already defined what a dealer is. And you have to be engaged in the business for the purpose of earning the principle of earning your principal livelihood from buying, repetitively buying and selling guns. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you are, that's, you know, if you have some guns and you decide you want to sell them or trade them uh, to buy different guns, new guns, or we not, you know, you, don't, you want to sell a gun you don't use anymore because you want to buy a lawnmower or whatever, mm-hmm. you are not a dealer under the Gun Control Act. You have to be doing it repetitively. You have to be doing it for the principal purpose of earning a livelihood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the average gun owner who may, may occasionally sell a gun um you know, is not a dealer. And it was interesting is that, you know, ATF put out guidance on this, uh, the direction of the White House uh, because of this issue. Uh, and, and the ATF guidance was fairly straightforward. I mean, I, and, you know, and it made clear that, you know, just selling a gun occasionally um, does not make you a dealer, does not require you to have a dealer's license. Hey, Larry, we're running out of time, but basically I want to urge all of our listeners 
If you're thinking about getting an FFL or you have an FFL, if you have a retail store, join the NSSF. And how do they do that? Well, they can simply go to our website, NSSF, or nationalshootingsportsfoundation.org, O-R-G, NSSF.org, and go to the membership tab, and there's information on how um, you can apply for membership, or, um, and, uh, or you can call our office uh, at 203-426-1320, ask for membership, uh, and the folks in the membership department will be happy to help you. And for everybody else who is going to make informed decisions at the ballot box, where do we want them to go? They can just go to gunvote.org, and they can find out where they can get registered, where their polling place is, and they can find information about the candidates. They can follow us on Twitter and on our Facebook page. Fantastic. And, And it's so important, every gun owner in America... Every hunter, every sportsman, every target shooter has to get registered to vote. They have to get informed and educated about where the candidates stand on the Second Amendment and other important issues like wildlife conservation if you're a hunter. And then, armed with those facts, go to the polls on Election Day and gun vote. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Larry Keene of the NSSF. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. Sure, thank you. All right. Well, stick around because we have someone lined up here, actually in studio, studio to talk to us about a great new program called Hunting for Heroes. Hunting with Heroes. Hunts for Heroes. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Stick around. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey, ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. 
Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, we are glad you are here with us today, and if you've missed any part of this show, please be sure to check out our website, gunfreedomradio.com. Click on the On Demand tab, and you can find a recording from every single one of our shows that we have done. This is episode 53, which means we've just gotten past our one-year anniversary, our first birthday. And so there are 52 other shows on there just waiting for you to binge listen to. And also, all of our guests have their own individual guest page that I build for them. And so if you go on there and put a a face to a voice, you can find out more about who they are and what they do. There's links to their Facebook pages and and videos that they might have done, news stories they've been a part of. And so it's just a really great resource um, for you know, kind of the, the who's who of, of who we've had on. So we are very excited. We have an in-studio guest, and his name is Stephen Clark. He is the executive director of one of Arizona's largest and most active wildlife conservation organizations, the Arizona Elk Society. And He's going to be talking to us about a really awesome event that's uh, going to be held at Ben Avery's Clay Target Center here in Arizona. I know people listen nationwide, worldwide, um, and you might have similar programs like this in your area. But a lot of people come out here to Arizona and they visit, they vacation, and so you might just be here at the right time. So. Bring your family and enjoy a fun morning of shooting clay targets at Ben Avery's Clay Target Center on Saturday, September 10th. In commemoration of Patriot Day, 9-11, the Arizona State Rifle and Pistol Association's Shotgun Division will be hosting an NRA Day fun shoot for beginners from 8 to 11 a.m. From 8 to 11 a.m., offering one-on-one shotgun instruction for sporting clays. And for more competitive shooters, a 100 Bing Bangs for Freedom Sporting Clays Tournament with a 100 target competition starts at 9 a.m. That tournament start will be conducted as a shot heard round the world, commencing the shoot while promoting the worldwide movement to get the public to come out to the ranges to shoot. This event is a fundraising benefit for Hunts for Heroes, a program of the Arizona Elk Society for Disabled Veterans. For additional fun, there will be raffles for unique merchandise inside the Ben Avery Clay Target Center Pavilion. Don't miss this special event to commemorate Patriot Day 9-11. Join us to celebrate our American freedoms. To register and obtain more information, call 602-571-4055 or email secretary at asrpa.com. And all of this we're going to talk about right now with Executive Director of Arizona Elk Society, Steve Clark. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, what did I not cover in all of that? Tell us a a little bit about how the Elk Society was founded. The Elk Society was founded in 2001 by a, a bunch of hunters and people that were interested in having more input in elk management here in Arizona. We wanted to keep the money we raised in the state of Arizona rather than going out for other other programs outside the state. 
we started out with about 35 founding people in, in 2001 and have grown since then. Well, you know, I think that even touches on an area that a lot of people who aren't hunters, maybe they weren't raised in a, a rural area where hunting even took place, I think all they think about is, you know, hunting is death, hunting is killing, right? But you and I understand that hunting is conservation. And when you say, you know, you're managing the elk population, that's part of that, right? Management of wildlife is is everybody's responsibility. Hunting is a tool to do that management. That's what we use hunting for, to manage the population for carrying capacity of the land, for the carrying capacity of water, all kinds of issues related to carrying capacity. So, Stephen, what would happen if people just didn't hunt? What would happen to the elk population? In Arizona, we'd, we'd have too many elk in about two years. So they'd starve to death? They'd start starving to death. We have a lot of issues right now with private land issues. Uh, Payson's having tons of issues with their golf courses, the elk coming onto the golf courses. If we didn't manage those elk around those private property areas, they would just they would be everywhere. Mm-hmm. They would become like... Like vermin, basically. Pests. Pests, yeah. And, um, you know, people, we used to spend our summers in North Dakota. And before that, I didn't understand what a danger it was to be in an area where you have to be careful about large animals like elk crossing the road. Just even something that simple. Not only crossing the road, certain times of the year, the elk are very aggressive. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's a person, another elk. They're going to attack things because you're going to get in between them and their girlfriends, them and their babies, mm-hmm. things like that. The same issues we have with all wildlife. They're mm-hmm. wild, and we need to leave them in the wild. Mm-hmm. You know, and we need to manage them there for the habitat so that we don't have the issues of them coming into the populated areas. Absolutely. Well, now that we understand hunting maybe a little differently and a little better, um, talk to us about what the, the major goals of the AES, the Arizona Elk Society, are. Our major goals are to improve Arizona's habitat for elk especially, but that affects all wildlife. Everything we do affects all wildlife. If we put a new water hole out there, you know, there's there's hundreds of species that drink out of that water hole. It's not just about elk. We actually are involved in forest thinning to get a healthier forest for the wildlife, but it also improves our fire capacity, Mm -hmm. you know, our fire danger. Uh, we restore old dirt tanks. There's a lot of grazing allotments that the cattle have been pulled off on. And if it wasn't for those ranchers putting water holes there in the past, we wouldn't have the distribution of wildlife we have today. So we go out and maintain those water drinkers, those water catchments, the dirt tanks, all kinds of issues like that. Grassland restoration is another one. Juniper and and pine trees have taken over the grasslands. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of grassland species, of which elk is one in the winter range, and antelope is another, that, that need that grassland. So we actually have programs that go out and restore grasslands. We cut the juniper. We, we stack it for the Forest Service to come and burn later to restore the grass for the grassland species. But all those, everything that has to do with the, the life cycle of elk is basically covered by some, one of our programs. Well, you know, that's incredible to, to realize that there are organizations out there that are even tapped in. They, they know what the situation is, the, the problem areas, and they've got uh, programs in place to deal with those in a proactive way. I think that's wonderful, and I don't know how, how many people even really understand that. Um, now, you do partner with a couple of 
of the state agencies, right? A lot of the state agencies, Arizona Game and Fish, State Lands. We also partner with the U.S. Forest Service because most of the wildlife habitat is on the forest. Awesome. And before we run out of time, of course, we have to get to Hunts for Heroes. Tell us about this. This is incredible. Basically, we've always been an organization that, that respects veterans. You know, that's, that's something we've always done. A couple of years ago, the Arizona Game and Fish Commission passed a rule that you could transfer a big game tag to a wounded veteran here in Arizona, a disabled veteran. Uh, last, last summer, we had one of our volunteers step up, Dave Holbrook, and say, hey, I want to do something really special. I want to start a program. Uh, I knew Dave from before. I knew he had a wounded veteran program that he was an outfitter. So we kind of sat down and said, let's, let's start a program to take care of wounded veterans here in Arizona that wanna, want the opportunity to get outdoors and hunt. The tag transfer program, basically if you get a tag and you can't use it, you can donate that tag to us, and we will provide an experience for a qualified disabled veteran here in Arizona to go hunting. That's not just elk, that's antelope, bears, uh, deer, all kinds of different wildlife. Last year we, we thought we'd do three or four hunts, get it under our belt. We ended up doing 37 hunts. We took 37 wounded veterans out on hunts last year. This year, so far, we've got over 40 tags. Wow. I think that's phenomenal. Now, on your guest page, we have a link to, to take people to, to learn more about that. But can you uh, very quickly here tell us how people would reach out to you? Uh, basically, the website is, is the easiest way, ArizonaElkSociety.org. I have an email in there that's stevec at arizonaelksociety.org. But we're looking for wounded veterans that qualify. We're looking for sponsors. We're looking for outfitters and volunteers that want to help on these hunts. They're very labor-intensive sometimes, and, and the, the rewards are phenomenal. Wow. You know, the, to see the smiles. And we have a video on there uh, of some of the hunters and, and how they felt after the hunt. Yeah. It was just, it's just it's a great thing. Fantastic. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. I really appreciate that and caring for our our veterans and our heroes. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Steve Clark with the Arizona Elk Society. Thank you very much. All right. Stick around because we still have our number two. Lots lined up there with our theme. What's law got to do with it?